Welcome back to another episode of Life in Paradise podcast with me, your host, Brandon Harper. Today is Sunday, November 27th, 2022, and we have just wrapped up Thanksgiving weekend. I've just returned from another six-hour-each-way road trip, which is what I'm getting to be really good at. Went home to see some family for the Thanksgiving holiday. It was great. Ate lots of good food, lounged around, watched it rain. Can't complain. Other than the drive. Please, please someone give me self-driving cars. Please. That's all I want. It's probably going to happen like a few years before I get too old to even appreciate it. But either way, self-driving cars cannot come soon enough. I'll give my fingerprints. I'll give my face scan. I'll give it all up. All the data, whatever you want. Just give me a car that lets me do my own thing while it's driving, please. Once again, I'm jumping into the show before I finish recording my nuts pre-recorded intro. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. So I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. Some you'll agree with, others you won't, and that's okay by me. The world would be a better place if we could have differing opinions and civil conversations at the same time. It's not for everyone, but it should be a goal. I come here about once every week or so to share my opinions with you, and I hope that they're funny, and I hope that you can enjoy them, and I hope that they are enlightening. If they're not, then you don't have to listen. Remember what they say, you get what you pay for. Sit back, relax, and let me do the digging for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. You know the best part about road trips, at least in my opinion, and this this helps me confirm that I'm getting old, as if I didn't know by the hair missing on top of my head, audiobooks. I do love me some audiobooks. I remember when I was a kid hearing older people talk about audiobooks. So they used to be called books on tape. And you could go to this place called Cracker Barrel, which if you're not from the South, you might not know of this place, but it's just a huge restaurant that's got a gift shop in it. And I think their whole intention is to keep you waiting for your table while you're in the gift shop buying junk. And I think that if it wasn't for that gift shop, Cracker Barrel would go out of business. But recently I heard that they started selling beer, so who knows? Maybe they were about to go under and then realized... Not only do we have to sell all this Chinese imported junk to stay in business, but we're going to have to start selling beer too. Because liquor and beer is what keeps eating establishments in business. Believe it or not, that's the truth. But I do love me some books on tape. I started one called Power Play about the beginning of Tesla, how it got its start, 
how Elon was involved, how he kind of basically kicked everyone out and took control. He catches a lot of criticism for that, but it's good to actually hear the truth and how it all uh, how it all played out. Also started one called The Future is Closer Than You Think, which is very cool because I love the future and I love technology. And although I wish I were born 100 years ago, I kind of wish I was born now, too, because I want to see the future. You know, everyone always says, man, if, uh, if there were something that you could take that would make you live forever, I would never take it. I would never take that. You know what I say to that? Oh, bull crap. I would. I would take it. Because you can always end it if you want to, you know? And it would be so cool to see what the future is going to look like. The um, trilogy of Back to the Future was on TV this weekend. And we watched at least two and a half of them. And it just, you know, every time I see those movies, I think to myself, what I wouldn't give to go into the future and into the past. One day it might happen. But you didn't come here to hear me talk about my audiobooks. You came here to hear me talk about China and how people are going crazy there. If you haven't heard, China has been in continual lockdowns, basically, since the beginning of COVID. How do you know this, Brandon? You're just hearing the right-wing conspiracy theorists. Well, I'll tell you how I know. I've got a relationship with someone in China. No, not that kind of relationship, you pervert. But there's a lady there that makes hammocks for me. And I have a direct WhatsApp thread with her. And so I'll ask her, hey, what's going on? Tell me what the government's doing. What are you thinking? And she's confirmed multiple times that the government has shut things down. And that she was locked in her apartment for literally 45 days at the beginning of COVID. I believe her. I don't think she has a reason to lie. I tried to question her about her opinion, but she was very careful as to what she was saying. And that's because China monitors everything that they say on all social media. I'm sure there's all sorts of AI and bots that alert people when they say things like government or lockdown or rebel or revolt. And so she was very uh, careful with her words, but she did make sure to say, well, we just trust our government. So that tells me that either she does trust them or she's just saying that she trusts them. Regardless, what's going on right now is that the people have had enough. They've had enough of lockdowns. And so the, the cases in China are finally spiking. They're finally going through the roof. And I had a conversation with someone and we were speculating on how this whole thing was going to play out, what was going to happen and why China's been doing this. And it's like I said all throughout COVID. The longer we try to contain it and keep it away from people, you're just pushing out the spike. You're just delaying the peak because eventually it's going to make its way around. No matter how long you keep people locked in, unless you have an actual vaccination that keeps people from getting it and keeps people from spreading it, your case numbers will continue to climb. Because remember... We all agreed to trust the science, which for the record, there is no science without a control or a variable. It is not science. It is speculation. But either way, they're there in China and the people are starting to say we've had enough. They're leaving their apartments. They're marching in the streets. 
They're saying we need to be free. We're not rats in cages. We need to be moving about and being productive and shopping and spending money and working. And I don't blame them. You know, everyone has a breaking point. That's that's my whole point is that no matter what, no matter how much you say you trust your government or how much you fear them, eventually people will reach a boil point. Because, you know, it's like I always say, it's a spectrum. Every, everyone, everyone lives and operates and thinks and reacts on a spectrum, right? There are certain things that are better than other things. There are certain things that are worse than other things. There are some things that people think are worth dying for, and other people don't think that those are worth dying for. And so in order for you to say whether something is right or wrong or should or shouldn't happen, you have to look at it from the perspective of the spectrum. And I think that this spectrum exists and, and it's it's typical that people fall at the same point on lots of spectrums because every topic, in my opinion, has its own spectrum. Let's take, for example, the, the China lockdowns. So there's a group of people who think, yes, this is good. This is good for China. The government's smart. They know what they're doing. And we should do this. And then there's a group of people who think, Lockdowns are terrible. This is bad for humanity. We're going crazy. We have no food. They're taking our pets. We don't want this anymore. And someone falls somewhere on that spectrum. Sorry, everyone falls somewhere on that spectrum. And over time, the average person, I suspect, and I think we're seeing this to be true, moves from, this is a great idea, let's keep doing it, to this is a terrible idea and we have to stop. And when you reach that point, then you reach the threshold. You reach the imaginary line that goes from we should stop filling the blank to we should start filling the blank or we should continue to you, you can fill in the blank with whatever it is you want. In this case, it would be I'm okay with being locked into my house. Going from that, going to I'm no longer okay with being locked in my house. And I admire I admire the culture or the mindset or the ideology who pushes back on that resistance sooner than later because it, it means that they value freedom. Now, it could just mean that they're stupid, right? It means that they're too dumb to understand the dangers. But I think that that group of people is much smaller because if you look at something like COVID, in the U.S., the death rate was so small. And it was such a small amount of people and it was such a small age bracket that it really, in my opinion, wasn't worth what we did to the economy. And you might have a different opinion. Maybe you think that, you know what, next time we need to go harder. Next time we need to lock down stronger and who cares about the economy and maybe we'll save the lives of some old people. But to that, I say, well, look what China's doing. Look where that's gotten them. They've been locked down for two years now almost three and look what they're doing their people have had enough and their case numbers are going through the roof but i truly suspect that when this happens again which it will this will happen again probably in our lifetime we will go through the exact same stages and the people will take the same arguments that they took last time and no one will learn anything from history and we will just repeat chapter one and I truly think it's important for each of us on an individual level to decide ahead of time what is important to me. Where do I draw the line? 
At which point do I break out of my house and protest if I were in China? Because it's if you identify that point, that breaking point, that that line at which the threshold gets crossed, if you identify that line ahead of time, then in the heat of battle when it's all happening, you can't get persuaded by emotions. You can't think to yourself, well, the media says it's really bad. But if you look around yourself, you don't see anyone dying. So I just think it's important to identify that threshold and to know where it is so that when the day comes, you're not faced with the decision of having to decide whether or not you're listening to your baby sister, in-law, cousin, Tracy's ex-wife, husband's brother-in-law knew somebody who knew somebody that died from COVID that was young and healthy. And you don't have to let that emotion pull on you. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. We should not make decisions that affect other people based on our emotions. Hey, if you want to go through your life and decide, well, this scares me, so I'm going to do that. This makes me fearful, so I'm going to do this. Or I like the way this feels, so I will continue doing this. That's fine. But I don't think you should expect other people to behave in a way because you feel a certain way about it. And I know maybe that makes me... I don't know, pick some name, some anti-whatever, or some kind of denier, or some kind of sympathizer. You can, you can pick whatever you want to pick, and it won't change my opinion. It, my opinion is that we make policy based on statistics and numbers, and we don't make policy and statistics based off guys walking around in Tyvek suits with breathing apparatuses on. That's just my opinion. You know, you can, you can have your own opinion. That's, that's perfectly fine. Hopefully that's why you're here. Because you want to hear my opinion and then formulate your own. I don't want anyone regurgitating my opinion. Please. Well, secretly I would kind of like it. But in reality, don't do it. So that's it. That's it. Just the China lockdowns, the revolting. It could get nasty. It could get ugly. We'll see. It remains to be seen. But I do encourage everyone to figure out where you lie or where's your, your threshold on every spectrum. I like to call it the threshold of acceptability. What did, what did you just say? What, tell me what you said. Again. Oh, you'd like to hear some Corrine Brown, an elected official? Sure, here, here you go. They held the team uh, the highest scoring offense to just 14 points. Florida is the fourth school in the modern era to win two outright national titles in three years. Oh, you want some more? Okay, here you go. Their 24-14 victory over Oklahoma Sooners showed off team spirit, sportsmanship, and one of the best defense plays that I've seen. <laughs> These are the people we're electing. These are the people that we're, we're, we're electing to represent the people. One, two, three, four, five. Then the, the Gators don't, don't take no jive. All right, moving right along. I had mentioned in the last show um, that, you know, I'm not going to lie. It is hard for me to remember what I talk about and what I don't because they're all my thoughts, right? I mean, I try to keep notes, but sometimes I spin off and I start talking. So if I'm repeating myself, sorry, but it'll help you remember. It's estimated that if China cuts off our our chips from Taiwan. Now, I've talked about chips before. I know that and what they go into and how we need them for everything 
and how it's going to be considered the new resource, kind of like oil. And so if China cuts off our access to chips instantly, if they say, you'll no more buy a chip from Taiwan, Taiwan now belongs to China, and you no buy more chip, you make on chip, you no more buy chip Taiwan. If they cut off our chips, it's estimated that our economy will sink, or our GDP, which is the gross domestic product. Remember, GDP is the 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 sum of all the goods and services produced within the U.S. in one year, and it also includes exports. So, during the Great Depression, remember what life was like in the Great Depression. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to send you back in time. Imagine you wake up one morning and you hear rumors. Remember, there's no internet. You hear rumors that your money might be gone from the bank. That you might go to the bank and try to get your money and it and it won't be there. And so you run to the bank in hopes that you can get your money and much to your dismay, it's not there. The bank says to you, "Uh, we're working on it. We're going to get it. It's just not going to be today." So then you continue to go back and your husband or wife starting to get upset with you. And then you lose your job. So you have no access to the money that you had. And you have no access to work. And you have no other jobs that you can apply for or do. So what do you do? You start baking bread. You said, well, I got an oven. I got a kitchen. I got a wife that knows how to mix all the ingredients together to make some pretty good bread. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take the little money that I have and I'm going to try to make bread and then I'm going to go door to door and I'm going to knock on the door and I'm going to say, hey, um, we've got some fresh baked bread here, 25 cents a loaf. And they're going to say, nope, I can't do 25 cents a loaf. I can do 15. And you're going to take out your calculator. You're going to punch in the numbers. You're going to say, man, 15 cents for a loaf of bread. I got 12 cents worth of ingredients in it. But you know what? Two cents is better than no cents. I've got to feed my family. So you take the two cents profit, you walk on down the road, and you knock on the next door. And you hope that you can get two cents from them too. This was the Great Depression. There was lines everywhere. There were shortages everywhere. Hold on. I'm not saying this now. Although it kind of sounds like it. I'm saying that I'm describing it, right? So this is what the Great Depression looked like. Everything went up in price. Everything was scarce. Everything was rationed. Nobody had work. And you had what's called deflation. Deflation is the the phenomenon that happens when everyone starts lowering their prices because nothing is selling. When that happens, profit margins get squeezed. Wages go down. You pay your employees less. You don't pay your landlord as much. So this is what the Great Depression looks like. And that was a 15% drop in GDP. Going back to the China chip example, it's estimated that if China cuts off our chips from Taiwan, that it would send our economy into a negative 10 to negative 15% GDP situation. So if we look back in history, we can probably safely infer that that's what it would look like again. Now, one thing that could happen now that couldn't happen then or didn't happen then was that the government can turn on the money printer. And that means that they can just create fake money out of thin air and and distribute it so that money moves around and people keep buying things. This is just a temporary fix. 
Because eventually that money runs out, and you're back in the same boat. And then you have what's called hyperinflation. This is what happened in Weimar Republic, part of Germany, after the war when they started inflating their money. And people would take literally, and I say that because I mean it. Literally? Wheelbarrows full of money to buy groceries. It's because the dollars became so worthless because there was so much floating around. And I'm not trying to be doom and gloom, but I am telling you that this is something that could happen if China cut off our access to chips. Now, we're doing everything we can. We're building chip plants in Phoenix and some in Texas. And, you know, we're scrambling to try to make sure we don't get stuck in this position. But if it comes down to it, we're going to have to pick and choose whether or not we defend Taiwan. Personally, you know, I don't know. I don't have an opinion yet on what I think is going to happen. I don't know enough about how China thinks about Taiwan. I know that everyone likes to speculate and they say that China thinks Taiwan belongs to them and that's kind of what they do. But at the same time, China needs us. If they took control of Taiwan and they just said, no more chip go to USA, only use chip in China. No USA, China number one. If they did that, we would be in a position to make the next move. And that could look something like us saying, we're not buying no more of that damn Chinese stuff y'all been making for the last 50 years. We'll, we'll just buy it somewhere else. And then China will say, but what can you buy? Because only China can make. <laughs> so it's going to be this, this trade war. If it happens, right, if it happens, it will be a, well, if you do this, then we do that. If we do this, then you do that. And it's just going to go back and forth. And it, it's kind of happening with Russia and the supply of natural gas to the rest of Europe. The only thing is that it hasn't, it hasn't gotten to crunch time yet, right? These things take time to play out. It takes time for inventories to deplete. People can kind of supplement and they start finding other ways to fill in the gaps. But it's no different than using a credit card to pay your bills, for example. We've all been there. We've all been in a bind. We had to use our credit card. But if you don't have an extra amount of income to pay off your credit card, eventually you're going to run out of money. And so you might make it eight, nine, ten months, whatever, as you're running up your credit card bill because you're using your credit card to supplement the income that you don't have to buy the things that you want that you couldn't afford otherwise. Eventually that credit card gets maxed out. And so I'm of the opinion that eventually we're going to have to come head to head with this. And which decision we make, I don't know. I think it will depend a lot on who's in office, the administration that's in the White House, what our options are, which other countries can pick up the slack. Because if it's up to us, we'll just make our own chips and then buy all the cheap stuff from China. Because what China cannot do is they can't make chips. They don't even have the brains to design them, right? All of the designs for the chips that get made in Taiwan all come from the U.S. So we have the ability to draw the plans for these chips and to tell them what kind of materials to use and to tell them how, the, how to put them together. But Taiwan has the ability to put them together very, very efficiently, partly because their labor, their labor rates are very cheap. They're very innovative when it comes to robotics. They're efficient. They can do things with a, a little amount of space. And so there's a lot of reasons why it's advantageous for us to let Taiwan make the chips that we design. 
So the positive that comes of that is if they do cut us off, then we will no longer supply them with the design for these chips. And that will basically lock them in time. It will keep them from being able to innovate and, and create a more efficient product and, and increase the technological breakthroughs, et cetera, et cetera. So we have the brains. They have the muscle. And that's where we are right now. I don't know what's going to happen. Apparently, Biden has already told a lot of the U.S. chip makers that we can no longer supply this certain type of chips to China that they can use in their military weapons in regards to, like, I don't know, I guess they they can fly the missiles that can blow us up or they, they go in the airplanes, whatever the case may be. We suddenly woke up one morning and thought, oh, no, they have all the designs for all the chips that everyone uses in the military, and now things aren't looking too good with China. So my point is to pay close attention to this. It could develop into something big. And, and for all we know, we could be baking bread in our kitchens, trying to sell it to our neighbors. I really hope it doesn't come to that. I hope it does not. I, I hope that the world never sees those days again, for the record. But I'm also beginning to learn that we used to call preppers crazy, and now we call them preppers. Speaking of percentages, here's Sheila Jackson, another elected official, with some, uh, some math for you. 31% of black children live in poverty compared to 11% of white children. The natural average is 18%, which suggests that the percentage of black children living in poverty is more than 150%. Uh, apparently, <laughs> apparently, the percentage of black children living in poverty is more than 150%. So, sorry, Sheila, but let me explain to you how percentages work. You can't have more than 100% of humans. <laughs> Let me just play that again. Here you go. 31% of black children live in poverty. Nothing wrong with that. 31% of black children live in poverty. 31% of black children live in poverty compared to 11% of white children. Compared to 11% of white children. That's still, that's fine. The natural average is 18%, which suggests that the percentage of black children living in Wait, poverty on, hold on, hold is on, more on, than... Hold, 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 hold on, She-Jack. Let's start that over again. I, lo I lost you there, She-Jack. Let's try from the top. No interruptions. Here we go. 31% of black children live in poverty compared to 11% of white children. The natural average is 18%, which suggests the percent. Wait, the national average is 18% of what? Ugh, these people. 31% of black children live in poverty compared to 11% of white children. The natural average is 18%, which suggests the percentage of black children living in poverty is more than 150%. I don't know. Whatever, whatever you say, Sheila, whatever you say. She also thinks you've been to Mars, so there's that. This liberal will be all about socializing, uh, um, will be about basically taking over. Basically. And the government running all of your companies. How's that sound? <laughs> how, how would you like to see Maxine Waters run Apple <laughs> or Shell? or Exxon, or Google, or Amazon. You know what? That would make a hilarious reality show. Is take a politician, any politician you want to, and put them in the CEO seat for a day. These people that have never run a popsicle stand, sitting around barking orders. You know what? I want to see Elizabeth Warren. Hey, Elizabeth, go run Tesla for a day. You know what? A week. 
Let's let's see you squirm a little bit. Go sit in a Tesla board meeting. You wouldn't even understand the questions that they're asking of you. And you know what? It's our fault. We're putting these people in the positions of making rules where they don't even know what it's like to live in the real world. So don't mess with me when it comes to words like that. I've talked about regulations quite a bit. And a lot of people have a hard time understanding my viewpoint. So I'm going to break it down a little bit because I know that they can sound extreme. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. A lot of what I do is kind of extreme. I'm of the opinion that we are over-regulated on almost everything. Almost everything. And I know that seems harsh or weird or odd because the underlying intentions of regulations are just to keep people safe. Just to keep people safe. We have to keep people safe at all costs. And so to say things like we're overregulated kind of implies that there are a lot of rules that we don't need. And that is true. I do feel that way. There are a lot of rules that I don't think we need. But where I think we went wrong was the process of starting to implement regulations, starting to put the, the bumpers on the gutters at the alley. When you do that, you can never take them off. You can never go from, well, I say never. You, you take a kid who's been bowling with bumpers his whole life and you just take him off the next day, he's going to be mad because his score is going to go down. And maybe that's a bad analogy because it's good for kids to learn. I don't know, is it? Should we have bumpers at the bowling alley? Now I'm starting to think about it. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't have bumpers. Because if people never knew they existed, they wouldn't know what they're missing. And this is how I feel about the regulations that we've imposed. For instance, farm subsidies. A lot of people don't know this, but the federal government pays farmers to do things like not grow crops on a certain field. And they do this so that it artificially keeps the prices of crops high. Because remember, if we have constant demand and lower supply, what happens to prices? They go up. That's right. And so whenever they initiated this farm bill, they said, we're going to just do this temporarily because we don't want the farmers to go out of business. And that was, I don't know how long ago, but they're still getting subsidies. They're still doing this to keep the price of crops high. Because imagine being a farmer and you build your whole life around a business model that includes free money from the government every year. And you make decisions about what kind of equipment to buy and when you're going to build yourself a new house and how much land you're going to give to your kids. All these things are based on the money coming in from the government. And if you just take that away from someone, it makes their business unsustainable. And so it's a good notion to to think like, well, we're just going to do this to help the farmer and then we'll take it away. But we've never seen these regulations taken away. Another example that I caught a lot of flack for was the idea that we should make it illegal to text and drive. And I know, I know there's people out there. But Brandon, so many people wreck and run over little children when they're texting and you don't even know what you're talking about because you don't even have kids. I get it. I know. I know. But my opinion is that the amount of money that we spend to implement these laws and to change the way the courts work and to add something new to enforce to all that time and energy and money 
it doesn't have an impact on the outcome. And let's just say that I'm right. And let's just say that we can look at the statistics and we can say, oh, you know what? That stupid redheaded son of a gun was right. And this particular law didn't have any impact on texting and driving accidents because, in my opinion, the, the punishment isn't severe enough. So people will continue to do it. So you want to make it where your left hand gets chopped off if you kill someone in a car accident and you're texting? I could probably be for that. But a 45 or $50 fine or $80 fine is not enough to matter. And once they realize this, they will not repeal that regulation because people depend on it. Municipalities depend on the revenue from the tickets and all sorts of things. Companies build apps that don't allow you to use your phone while you're driving. And that costs money. And they're, they're only assuming that people will use it because it helps keep them safe from not running over kids and mainly because it's required by law. So you kind of get the idea. And this is why I think that the whole FTX thing that's blown up, you know, there was a bunch of scammers that started a crypto exchange and they robbed a bunch of money from unsuspecting people. And now everyone's saying, See, this is why we need regulation. And my response to that is, the only reason we need regulation now is because we've always had regulation in the stock market. And if you put regulation in place, you don't teach people, or, or, or you teach people how to not deal with adversity. And when you take away that bumper, the the safety net, people become careless and they become reliant. And in that process, they become unable to decipher what's dangerous. How can I get ripped off? Should I be a skeptic? Should I trust this person? And I fully understand that the rebuttal to this argument is, well, it's nice to have someone that's out there protecting us. That way you don't even have to decide what's safe and what's not safe. I agree. There's two problems with that. Number one is that you're taking away the idea of a free market. And I understand there's people out there, they're going to say, yeah, but free markets fail sometimes. We'll, we'll talk about that later. So the, number one, you take away free market. What does a free market do? It gives the best price to the consumer. It allows me and you to buy things for the best price because everyone's competing for our business. And the second thing is it allows for scammers to arise with a new technology and us not being able to deal with them before the regulators have had a chance to make regulations. And this is what's happened with the FTX situation. Because cryptocurrency is so new, there was no regulation regarding it. And because people who didn't understand how the whole system worked, they thought, oh, this is just like the stock market, except it can only go up. These people are making tons of money. I'm going to get in on this. And then we play the monkey push green button, monkey push red button game. And so people just assume that everything's hunky-dory and that there's no bad actors behind the scene that are taking advantage of these people. And the reason that they're assuming that is because in other areas like the stock market and the banking industry, they're highly regulated. And so if you've never been exposed to this environment you're you're highly likely to be taken advantage of. And people who want to take advantage of people look for these types of opportunities. Whereas if we had been coached throughout history to not ask for regulation, but to get burned 
and then pick ourselves up and move on, eventually we become wise to the scam. I remember being in Thailand, and I was watching this guy do the three-card money. And he was just winning every time. New tourists would come up, and he would win. And, and he would hustle him a little bit. He would give up a couple games, and he would win again. And he would win again. And I thought to myself, if someone would just stand here and watch these people, they would realize that this guy's running a scam. But because they're turning over, every few minutes a new person would walk up, and they would see somebody win a couple and then lose, and then that person would leave. So over time, he's able to just keep running his scam because everyone is none the wiser. And I hate to say it, but I love to brag a little bit, kind of. I saw all this coming back in June. Well, actually, I suspected it would happen before that. I knew it was a just a matter of time before this whole thing exploded. But I think I started saying in like June or July that here here it comes. This is the beginning of the end. And I and I handled my money and my crypto accordingly. Not because I'm some genius, but because I've been I follow this space very, very closely and I understand how things work. But I see how people that don't follow the space closely and they don't understand how things work are easily getting scammed. And the only way that we could have prevented that from happening without regulation is to let them have seen that before. So I just think that the more we regulate, the more we take away from ourselves to, to be able to learn. You know, in these in third world countries, when you go there, they're kind of wary of everyone. There's not a lot of trust. And it feels weird to us because we automatically trust people. Because in their world, they don't have people that are trying to protect them. And you'll see that. They, these people in other countries that you go to, especially developing countries or even countries in Western Europe that are fully developed, they have lots of scammers in the street. Because people come through there who, who aren't from countries with scammers. So they know they can get them every single time. But the locals, they all know the game. It's because that they've seen it happen. And apparently there's no regulation in place to stop it from happening. But it's like Chips Ahoy. Once you pop, you can't stop. That's why there's like, I don't know, 30,000 laws in this country. We're really good at making them. We don't know how to take them away. I just I would love to see some leadership of some people who say, hey, let's take some laws away and, and watch us thrive. You look at the beer industry, the craft beer world. Everyone knows that in the last 10 years, craft beer blew up. That's because they took away one little regulation. That regulation said, if you make beer, you cannot also sell beer on site to consumers. And so they challenged that law. And that law was put in place back in Prohibition. And the intention of it was to keep beer companies from having too much power and to force them to use distributors because they wanted a lot of separation between the people who are making the beer and the people who are drinking the beer. Because the people who are making the beer could have tons of power if they're selling it to the people who are drinking the beer because they were producing beer in such mass quantities and there was only a few of them in the country. So they had lots and lots and lots of power. They could have easily priced it whatever they wanted to. But as time went on, we saw, hey, you know what? Maybe it would be cool if we could let a little mom and pop action in on this game. And we allowed people just to, to sell their beer where they make it. Now, the advantage of this is that you get really high margins. 
you can make a beer for only a little bit of money, but you can still sell it for the market price. And nothing went wrong. You know what happened when we took away this regulation? The consumers got a better experience. A new industry opened up. It supports a lot of other industry, right? There's people who make the equipment that go into breweries. There's people who sell grain. There's people who sell cans to them. There's real estate owners who now get to lease their property to beer makers. So it opened up a huge industry. And so that's just an example of one thing that can happen whenever you take away regulations. And I think instead of encouraging these politicians, what are you going to do? I think we should say, what are you going to undo? That should be the, the topic at these debates. What policy are you going to take away? It's just like a, a life jacket. If you give someone a life jacket and you never teach them to swim without it, why would they ever not depend on it? Why would they ever choose to go without it? Well, that's all good and well. But what happens when that life jacket rots? Or what happens when you can't afford another life jacket? Now you've got a person who's gone their whole life, depending on the life jacket, who can't swim without it. And then you literally have two choices, sink or swim. And I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of sink or swim. I'm a big fan of giving people enough rope to hang themselves with. Because I think consumers get a better experience whenever more people have the ability to choose from more goods and services. You walk into one of these mega ultra gas stations on the side of the road, the interstate between two big cities, and you walk in and there's anything you can possibly want. You can buy all kinds of junk food, barbecue, Yeti cups with your niches on them and lots of bling bling. You can buy coolers. You can buy all the things that you would love to buy. You can buy them there. Because there's no law that says what they can and cannot sell. We just have to let the market work. And we have to accept that there will be failures. And in my opinion, it's worth letting the failures happen to get what we get out of it. Because as we're going to see in the beer world, the, the market won't fail. There's nothing that will fail out of that example. And so, yes, sometimes free markets fail. But in the long run, they provide more options and more choices and better prices to the consumer. And that's a fact, Jack. That's the only way you can find room to pay for it. I tell you what, I don't know where, as they say in Southern, I don't know where y'all been. Hot damn, boy. That's just a little Joe Biden for you. I don't have any fresh Biden clips for the week. I was too busy driving to listen to any Biden clips. I'm sure there were some good ones, though. You know how much I'm going to do with the deficit this year? Uh, what? You know how much I'm going to do with the deficit this year? <laughs> Reducing the deficit. Reducing the deficit. <laughs> oh, man. That's, uh, that's a good one there. You know how much I'm going to do with the deficit this year? <laughs> his, little, his little mouth can't keep up with his little brain. The message said, end of message. Okay, for my next and final trick, I want to talk a little bit about something that I had a conversation with. You know, some things are just hard to say, all right? It's hard to speak. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm veering off course a little bit here. It's hard for me to say some things talking to you in a, in a manner that sounds right coming out of your speakers, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say what I think I should say. 
I'm going to start over. Maybe. I had a conversation with someone over the weekend. And I'm about to tell you what that conversation was about. But what I learned the most from this conversation or from thinking about this topic is how lucky I am. And in addition to that, I'm starting to see now why our culture is shifting to the left. Remember, we talked about spectrums, right? Let's talk about the the political slash ideological slash value slash moral spectrum. You can call it left and right for simple math and right. And so I've said it many times before that the spectrum is always shifting to the left. And so I pondered frequently as to why that can be happening. And after a conversation this weekend and a little bit of time driving, I think I may have sorted it out a little bit in my head. If you can't tell, or if you don't know me, I like to observe behavior. It's interesting to me to see the way that humans interact with each other and their patterns of problem solving or dealing with adversity. It's very interesting to me. I like to observe how people deal with things that come up. And throughout my life, I've been extremely fortunate to know several families four generations deep. Now, what do I mean by that? I have some really close friends or families that I've known part part of my family, a lot of them are, and a couple people or a couple of these these sets of people who are from different families. And I'll explain to you what I mean. I've gotten to know four generations at a very, very close level. That would be the great grandparent, the grandparent, the parent, and the child. And because of that, it's been very interesting for me to see the similarities in behaviors. And that shows me that these things get passed down from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. These are things like listening, work ethic, money management, time management, cleanliness, efficiency, morals, opinions, right? It's no coincidence that my four closest friends agree with me on just about every single topic that I talk about. That's that's not by accident. That's the way it works is that we we surround ourselves and we behave like people who are around us. Right? Let me rephrase that. We surround ourselves with people who are similar to us. Therefore, our decisions align in a high likelihood of similarity. And so in seeing this these three or four examples of, of knowing four generations of people, it's been very, very interesting to see that even though a lot of the ideology, 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 ideology gets passed down, there's still a shift to the left. There's still been a movement of, you know, this wasn't acceptable to my grandfather, but it's acceptable to me. Or this was no way near acceptable to my great-grandfather, but it is to me. And even though the people were raised with the values from the generation before them, whatever is happening in the world has just as much impact on them as well. Maybe not just as much, but it definitely tends to have an impact. And so this just kind of lends to my theory that, that we just become looser with our morals as time goes on. Now, I'm not saying that's good or bad or we should or shouldn't do it. 
I'm just presenting the facts that in the 1950s, we didn't show people sleeping in the same bed. And because of this shift that we're seeing, and because of no matter no matter which values were instilled in you, you will always be looser than your parents. And I I say that, but it's it might be anecdotal, right? But it's been true. I've seen four families of four generations, and I've seen it hold true in all of them. So it's hard to measure and quantify these types of things, right? How do you how do you quantify liberal and conservative and, and the change of viewpoints? It's hard. So you have to just observe it from an objective point of view. And so because of this slippage, I think it's only a matter of time before the country is if we look up and it's gonna be just on the extreme left of the political spectrum. The only thing that can stop it is some split. I I do not think that it will ever start shifting back the other way. And this even applies to the people who are considered conservative at this point in time. Even the people who are considered conservative right now are still less conservative than their grandparents, who were also considered conservative at that point in time. So if you agree with me up to that point, and let's just, for argument's sake, let's say you're still with me, you hadn't, you hadn't disagreed enough to turn it off, it's mind-boggling to me that people on the left side of the spectrum are pointing their finger to the right and saying, they're extremists, they're being extreme, what they're saying is extreme, when in reality we can look up and we can say, no, they're not. They've shifted to the left just like everyone else. But you are farther towards the left, and so now you see the person who's right of you, and you think they're extreme. When in reality, it's it's the loosening of morals that have changed the perspective of the person who's running around screaming that everyone else is extreme. It's all subjective to your point of view. A tall person in 1930 was 5'9", right? A tall person today... I don't know. What do you call tall? Everyone kind of has their own definition, but I wouldn't call someone who's 6'2 short, right? I I would call someone who's 5'6 short. You wouldn't call someone who's 5'6 and 1925 short. So that's just an example of how our perception changes over time, influenced by what's actually happening in the real world around us. If someone's trying to uphold the moral values of their family like they were in the 1850s, they would be considered extremists. And that, to me, is just mind-boggling. When really, they're just trying to preserve. They want to just keep things and not change them. So I think it's good to look around and say, who's changing? The extremists or everyone else around them? Because it's not, it's not the people's fault who's being called extremists. They're not the ones who are changing. So I don't know. I just I found that odd and I and it kind of all clicked to me between when I was driving and when I was talking to my cousin Tyler about how lucky I felt to have been able to know multiple families four generations deep. And I think that if you look around and hopefully you know some too. And I'm not talking about just know the name of the great grandparent. I'm talking about being able to identify their personality traits. And being able to know what makes them laugh and what kind of food they like and what they think's funny. And so if you know that amongst all four generations, 
I hope you can see what I'm seeing too. And that's that whether we like it or not, our morals are loosening. And that's it. That's all I have to say about that. How are you, baby? How old are you? How old are you? Almost double figures. Yeah. Love it or hate it, my opinion about Joe Biden is that he's a pedophile. And that's just my opinion. You know what? I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I recently learned that the publications that dropped the information that was in his daughter's diary was real. You know, I, all this time I wasn't sure if it was real or not, but come to find out that the diary was found and information was released. And there's people on tape saying that, yes, this is true. So if that's true, which I'm going to assume that it is, I'm 100% convinced that Joe Biden's a pedophile. I hope this doesn't get me canceled. I don't really care if it does. It's just my opinion. You know, I could be wrong. I'm not telling you that you should think that too. I'm telling you that you should go do your own research and look at the way that he holds these little girls in these pictures and the way that he sniffs their hair and the way that he touches them inappropriately and the way that they scoot away from him when he snuggles up to them and the way that his son refers to him as pedo Peter and the way that his daughter said the reason that she thinks she's hypersexualized is because of her father and the way that he asks a nine-year-old girl how old she is. How are you, baby? How old are you? How old are you? Almost double figures. Those are all the reasons that I've formulated my opinion. And the most you can do, if you don't agree with me, is say, I don't agree with you, and here's why. I, I would love for someone that disagreed with me and said, nope, you missed the mark. You're wrong about all that. That's just all right-wing conspiracy theories. Then let me know. I'd love to talk about it. But I would bet my entire net worth that if I knew that we could get the truth, if I knew we could get the answer, I would bet my entire net worth and I would even leverage it. I would go borrow against everything I had and I would put it all on the table and I would bet that he's a pedophile. And I am very thankful that we live in a country where I can say this and I can publish it and I can put it out there, even if it's an unpopular opinion, even if it creeps you out and makes you think I'm a conspiracy theorist and makes you think that I make things up just because I don't like Joe Biden. I'm still happy we live in a country that lets us do that. And I think it's important that we don't discount all these conspiracy theories because we don't agree with them. Instead of saying that's not true, we should look for reasons to support our opinion as to why it's not true. And the more we can do that, the more we can have civil conversations maybe we won't end up in a socialist country who completely outlaws free speech on the grounds of protecting stupid people from their own stupid ideas. And I will just leave that at that. You may cut me, man, but I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. I hope everyone enjoyed today's program. A little bit shorter than it's been. Didn't quite make the hour mark, but that's okay. Thanks for tuning in Life in Paradise podcast, the only show on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. I appreciate your listenership. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. You got plenty of turkey, plenty of dressing. Oh, you know what I heard? I heard this from two people this weekend. To take your dressing and put it in the waffle iron. What? <laughs> that was news to me. I didn't bring home any dressing, but if I did, I would have. I would have 
gleefully put it in my waffle maker from like 1955. And I'm not kidding. Not a joke. Not a joke. I have my grandparents' waffle maker, and it works wonderfully. And if it ever quits working, I will take it apart and fix it. Thanks again for listening. I hope everyone has a great week. Go out there. Be brave. Express your opinions. Challenge people civilly. Hold the door open for people. Buy something nice for someone. Do something special. And keep it tranky though. Jin Li.